Welcome to the Advanced Grass Solutions Turf Hub podcast. AGS is a leading provider of agronomy services, exclusive products, and unrivaled customer support. Underpinned by a well-qualified and experienced team of former sports turf managers. AGS. Supply. Consult. Support. Welcome to Season 2 of the Turf Hub podcast. And have we got a treat for you today. The season opener is with Ben Hasty, grounds manager of Cheltenham Racecourse. This is a must-listen for any grounds or horse aficionado. Given the time of year we pre-recorded this episode, so there have been some changes since the recording. Simon Clace is no longer clerk of the course. John Pullen has stepped up to that role, and we wish him the very best as he resides over his first festival. It's been a bloodbath for anti-postbackers, Monkfish and Fernie Hollow amongst two of the major non-runners, and we've not seen appreciate it all season. Some things haven't changed though. The Irish look destined to dominate the festival and retain the Presbury Cup, and Ben Hastie is into his 18th year as the course manager. You're in for a real treat as Ben talks us through his preparation for the Cheltenham Festival. This is a cracker. Sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Turf Hub podcast. It's a Cheltenham special. Uh, I'm Joe Hendy, and today I'm joined by the head of the grounds, Mr Ben Hastie. Ben, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks Joe. How are you? I'm very good, mate. I'm absolutely buzzing to be here, uh, as ever. The smile's not left my face yet. As we sit in the middle of the course looking out, today's a bit of a uh, rainy day, a bit gloomy. Thanks for joining me today, and what I want to do is ask you a few questions about how you prep for the festival. Uh, I appreciate Cheltenham's got more than um, one race day and one meet. Let's start with the season opener. Your first meet of the season is the showcase in October. Yeah, so um, we start racing um, the end of October, um, October the 23rd, normally roughly around that sort of date. Um, and then we race every month then through to May with the exception of February. Um, so in February, because we're getting ready for the festival in March, um, we basically have a have a free month in February just because obviously we're getting everything ready. Right, so you've got literally about sort of six to eight weeks between your end of January race and the race in March. Yeah, normally um, the January meeting is, is normally the last week in January and then the March meeting, it roughly coincides with about between the 13th, 14th, 15th, something like that of March. The festival's the big one, it's the four day one. It's the week before the festival. How does your preparation for the festival take place in the week building up to the big meet? The week before the festival is is generally just um, dotting the I's and crossing the T's basically. Um, with every meeting we, we like to be ready two weeks before. Um, oh brilliant. And that basically just covers us then that if anything untoward happens, something may happen that we're not expecting, whether that's weather, whether that's machinery breaking, anything like that. It just gives us that that bit of a window where we can say actually we're already ready and then we can do all the little bits of tidying up. So so the week going into the festival is generally just getting everything just finalised really. Um, it may be sorting out extra staff and things like that, but generally the whole track will be ready and ready to race almost two weeks before. Okay, so staff voice, how many staff have you got? So I've got 12 full-time staff throughout the year. Then on race days, non-festival, it goes up to about 100. And then on the festival, it will go up to about 120 roughly. Um, that'll include casual staff who are people that basically have got other jobs as well. Um, but I've got an interest in racing, an interest in horses, and they'll come and just work with me just on a race day. And then at the festival, basically, it will include people from other race courses within the jockey club. So we'll bring in extra staff from Wincanton, Warwick, Aintree, Nottingham. And basically what we get them in for is just because they're extra eyes and ears. 
Um, we can't do everything. You can't. It's a big area. There's a lot going on. We have a lot of horses running here. There's there's a lot of things going on on a normal race day, but the festival it is even more so because obviously you're racing for four days solid. So basically, we just get extra staff in because we just can't do it all on our own. So they're racing their own courses all the time anyway, and and we'll go and help them as well. So basically, we'll go and help at the Aintree Grand National. Decent. Um, so the jockey club's sort of one big family almost that we all help each other out. So the jockey club, other courses that are part of the jockey club would be? So um, other courses that the jockey club own, um, if I whittle through all of them, uh, you've got Newmarket, Carlisle, Aintree, Haydock, Nottingham, Market Raisin, Huntingdon, Cheltenham, Warwick, Wincanton, Exeter, Sandown, Epsom and Kempton. I can tell you now, he's not read that. That's off the top of his head. So if he's missed one out, I do apologise. But actually, I think this man, this man knows his stuff. Okay, so fertiliser-wise, what sort of feeds do you, are you putting on the course? What area are we looking at? Uh, well, the, the, actual, the actual race course is about 75, 85 acres or such. Um, the, whole, the whole site of Cheltenham is about... 380 acres but that includes things like car parks um so a lot of our car parks are on grass we've also got areas that we call sort of infields <clears throat> that are basically areas that we can use for other things they're basically areas that we can use for other things so we can have events on there they're areas that we we get striped up and tidied up so for the actual racing circuit there's the old course the new course and the cross-country course um you're you're looking at roughly about 80 acres Grass species. Um, I assume I assume you see them with ryegrass. Yeah. So we use we use uh, um, ryegrass. Um, we don't tend to have anything else in there unless it's sort of a a rogue species. Um, so mo yeah, um, mowing height. Uh, for racing, we'll mow about four and a half inch. Uh, so basically, the in the summer we'll cut it down to about two inch. So the sort of the smaller grass species, and it just basically thins out the track a little bit. We'll scarify as well. But generally, to to get the healthy sward, we'll we'll use um, ryegrass, a, a total ryegrass mix all the way through. And do you just overseed? Do you ever do you ever like collar? I know football is a different example, but end of the season they collar off, grow a pitch back in. Would you ever consider? Um, we we've considered it before, but because the track's so big, um, you do run the risk of them. One, it's time. Two, it's what do we do if it doesn't come back? Like I said, we don't irrigate in the summer because if we corrode the whole track off and then we get a really dry summer and we're having to throw water on throughout the summer and then we haven't got enough of racing, we put ourselves in a really awkward situation. Yeah. So we generally just hit it hard with a scarifier. We don't do sort of corroding. We might do it in small areas, um, but we, we generally don't do the whole track. So with the water then, obviously, are you on licence? You've got a borehole? Or... We've got a reservoir. Um so generally the reservoir every bit of water that hits the track generally finds its way back to the reservoir at some point um so we've got brooks and streams that run sort of through the through the track and around the other areas and basically then we can abstract out of that to put back into the reservoir okay so all the irrigation water comes out of the reservoir when the reservoir starts getting low we can then put a pump on that puts water back in brilliant um uh what's in the shed um, so we are generally, so Jockey Club have got a deal with John Deere. Every Jockey Club track has an agreement with John Deere that tractors, buggies are all John Deere. We can have other things as well, but generally John Deere is our preferred supplier. 
And what's your most important bit of kit? Um, what's the bit of kit you couldn't be without? It's hard to say really, because obviously you've got mowers, which you can't do without mowers. We've got tractors, we can't, if we don't have tractors, we can't irrigate, we can't pull trailers. So that's, that's how I don't think there's any bits of kit that we can't do without really. But we're very lucky that we've got a shed full of equipment that would make people jealous. So the old course, which part of the track's the old course? Obviously, we're sat in the middle of it. I know what it is. But so the old course is on the inside rail or the outside? No, rail? it's on the outside rail. So if you if you, if you were watching the horses running down the back straight, the old course is on the far side. Um, so they're they're near with the trees in the in the in the back straight. Um, and as they come up the home straight, the old course is nearer the stands. Lovely. And the new course is the other side? The new course is on the other side, yep. So um, as they come up towards the stands, the new course is on the left-hand side, um, which is where the Gold Cups run. Fantastic. Um, what's the difference between the two? Um, I'd say the old the old course is more is a sharper track. Um, it's, it's a quicker track as well. So you tend to get the faster races on there. So you get the your two-mile champion chase, your two-mile champion hurdle. Um, and on the new course, you've got the the tend to be the staying races, the the more galloping track. So you've got the Gold Cup, um, you've got the World Hurdle, you've got your longer races. So if you were to compare it, you'd probably say the new course is your Mo Farah and your old course is your Usain Bolt. Nicely put. And the cross country, cross country, uh, that's a little bit of an enigma by itself. Um, we use that three times a year. So we race in, we have one race per race meeting there in november december and the festival the cross country is one of them races where they go everywhere so they go left they go right they go all different directions every fence is completely different um but it's a very good spectacle some people love it some people hate it um but it's very good in terms of being there being a sort of race where you can get horses that have maybe lost their way out on conventional track um and you bring them back in into the race like the cross country and it just it just renews their enthusiasm brilliant so in the build-up to the festival then um fertilizer wise what what sort of are you, are you using slow fertilizers quickly fertilizers or yeah so we're we're a bit unique here in terms of the fact that when we finish racing in may we don't actually fertilize or irrigate from may through to about august time reasons is for that is because um i like the the track to sort of stress itself almost and also we don't irrigate during summer because one we need the water reserve for when we're racing but also it makes the roots go a little bit deeper looking for water hence making it a bit bit stronger um to get us through the winter months so fertilizer regime is we'll we'll put down a slow release fertilizer um in in about august time august september um and then that gives me the base then that will keep me sort of going through to about December January time maybe um but also then we might we may put down some some fairly quick acting fertilizer just over the top if you need to um is it, and is, need is it to. always sorry is it always granulars or do you yeah generally well? yeah we don't we don't generally go um too many with liquids here and the reasonings is for that is because of the way of the rails set out when we're racing um when you're trying to use a boom sprayer it's not always easy to be able to get into areas okay um, because our boom sprayer is sort of 12 meters long and obviously you can you can shut them down and, and make them smaller but it's it's not the easiest way to do it when you've got rail out and then you end up sort of potentially missing areas so we just find the granules just e easier to to up apply yeah more practical now as far as sort of striping up and that sort of thing goes 
Um, obviously, say you're at a football club, they, they're looking to do like a checkerboard effect or a stripe up and that sort of thing. Now, in race in racing, um, do you have to be more sort of um, aware of the horses and obviously creating sort of shadows on the ground? Yeah, um, I mean, with with race courses, um, we generally it is nice to stripe up and. Grand National meeting at Aintree is always nicely striped up, but we tend to find that the course um, basically speaks for itself. So I don't always feel the need to to stripe it because you're only really doing that just for a visual effect. The horses are the things um, yeah. that people are coming to watch. So I always wondered if it's just because literally you don't want to put anything on the ground that might detract the horses when they're obviously going to jumps when they land. So if you get heavy shade, that sort of thing. I always feel yeah. that, that we didn't do it up there because of that. But yeah, I mean, there are... It's actual personal preferences. So. Yeah, I mean, we, we do have... We have had trainers before that say, actually, striping could make a difference because obviously you've got grass laying one way and grass laying the other, and potentially my horse could be running against the grass laying against him. Now, I think that's probably been a little bit too particular, but it's not really a, a shadow problem at all. I mean, the the main shadow problems we have are the obstacles in effect yeah and um, where the hurdles and fences are that creates more of a shadow than anything else obviously we race in the winter time so the sun is lower anyway but it's not striping wise isn't isn't that's not why it's not like say if we were racing here in the summer you'd probably stripe every meeting but because obviously we're generally a winter sport the ground conditions don't always allow you to be able to put a stripe in it and if you think that you're going to create a wheel mark somewhere by putting a stripe in it because the ground's so wet or soft, then you won't do it. So we generally will leave the track to its own devices, really. Right, so this might be a silly question. Obviously, it's a jumps track, National Hunt. Why don't you do any flat here? Really because, uh, one, the, the layout of the track, so it's quite up and down, it's quite undulating. Um, flat horses tend to, as flat horses as you can imagine, like, flatter ground just flat tracks um, they're they they're obviously a lot quicker so if you had a flat horse running over this they're probably going a little bit too quick flat horses are younger anyway they probably wouldn't quite like the undulations here but also probably the main fact of why we don't have flat racing here is that they wouldn't pull up in time so when they pass the winning line obviously flat horses need to be able to pull up in effect the jockey be able to stop the horse okay now here you'd run out of room um, well, so if that. you think a flat horse going at 40 miles an hour you trying to stop it you'd run out of room here whereas a, right, okay. a jumps horse they've gone two three miles they're not going as quick and they're just easier to pull up they're a little bit older um whereas some of the young flat horses could take quite a while to pull up right okay right so you mentioned just now obviously the, hur the hurdles and the fences so how big is a typical hurdle uh they're just over three foot so so the hurdles and fences differ in that hurdles are movable as well. Um, so you can move the hurdles from meeting to meeting. So they're not what we call a, a permanent fixture. Um, so you can move positions with hurdles. The hurdles are generally, like I say, smaller, but also there's a bit more give in a hurdle. So if a horse hits a hurdle, it can it can move forward, forwards and backwards. So it's not quite as structured as a fence. The fences are roughly four foot eight they do give a little bit throughout the season. They will sort of slightly drop in height a little bit. But they're a permanent fixture. Now, obviously, as you can imagine, difference in height anyway. 
but a horse will find it harder to jump a fence than it will a hurdle so generally horses will start off over hurdles so they're generally learning their trade over hurdles and then they go up to the bigger fences some horses don't take to it like that it doesn't always work like that and the prime example of that was big bucks who won four or five stairs hurdles here he started off over hurdles then he went over fences and he never really quite made his way over fences and he wasn't quite as good as they thought he was going to be so they brought him back the hurdles and he virtually went unbeaten then for years and years and years but the differences between the two is obviously one's one's bigger and it's just a different type of horse as well all right and who maintains them um so we do so obviously that's part of our part of our team as well the fences um i've got two guys that are almost full-time on the fences now um it's quite a skilled job to be a fence builder because uh, you've got to get obviously the height right but you've also got to get the shape of the fence right and you've got to get the actual detail of the fence so how it's made from start to finish um it's not just a case of putting some birch in the ground it doesn't work like that you've got to get all your measurements right so it's it's quite a detailed job and it has to be birch um well we haven't in the whole of since i've been in racing we haven't come up with anything else and that's not to say in 10 years time there may be another product that potentially could replace birch i'm thinking like a plastic or or something like that obviously the problem with the birch is that it needs to be renewed every couple of years it's obviously not any longer a living product when it's in in the fences yeah and it does tend to break down it does tend to rot when it gets wet and okay um so it's a long ongoing thing in racing as to what could we replace things with um but everything has to be trialed to make sure that things work and make sure it's it's got longevity and make sure that it's it's what racing needs so at racing the grounds um obviously a huge consideration as it has massive influence on the races who takes the readings of uh, or who's who decides the going so it'd be it'd be a mix of um me and my boss who is simon clace clark of the course what we'll basically do is we'll we'll have a good idea of of each meeting what we want the ground to roughly be now obviously weather is a big big factor in in the going we can artificially change going by irrigation in an ideal world you wouldn't use irrigation if you could get away with just surviving on the weather um but basically so between me and simon we'll we'll walk the course um probably at least a month before each meeting and then we'll walk it once or twice a week up to the meeting we have what's called a going stick now me and simon will have our own going stick which is just basically a wooden stick every clerk of the course and head grounds in the whole country will rely on a wooden stick now it might <laughs> seem a bit sort of back in the stone ages but that going stick tells me everything i need to know about this track it's probably if you think we've got tractors and machinery probably up to about a million pounds worth that wooden stick to me is more important than anything else because that just tells me everything I need to know. And it's personal feel. So Simon's stick is completely different to mine. But it just tells us everything we need to know. Then they brought in a um, what's called the going stick. Um, which is an electronic device. Um, and basically you go around with that. And it takes the shear and the penetration of the track. So it's got a probe on the bottom. You then go around and you do it in different locations which are numbered. You then upload it to a computer um, back in my office and it then gives you your going report. Now I can tell you the stick is more reliable than Thank the going you. stick. Yeah. 
um, but it's a thing that's been brought in we have to use it so we have to go along with the guidelines but basically a wooden stick is probably my most important piece of equipment. fantastic and um, so it's, it's tuesday it's day one of the festival what sort of going are you, are you aiming for on day one uh we'd like for for most meetings we'd like to be good to soft with jumps horses you don't want the ground to be too quick um but also you don't want it to be sort of testing ground now for the last two or three festivals not last year but the ones previous we've we've had rainfall beyond our beliefs really um and we ended up with heavy ground now you can't always do much with rainfall obviously you can put rainfall on artificially but you can't take rainfall off so if it continuously rains for two three weeks a month even you just have to go with it there's yeah. nothing you can do so but generally we'd like to go out on good to soft with the festival obviously because it is four days we have to then think about but well, if it's good to soft on the first day we then look at the forecast during that week is it likely that we would have to artificially irrigate the week of because you've obviously got to get to friday we may look at the forecast and see there is rain coming so it's it's taking a judgment of the weather forecast can you take that as gospel that it's definitely going to rain or is it not going to rain and then you make a decision and it rains anyway so that's the sort of things we're fighting against is that you try and believe the weather forecast as much as you can and as much as you dare but then if you don't irrigate and it doesn't rain when they say it's going to then you've got a bit of an issue right okay um so it's it's rocking a hard place really it's... so on, on sort of good to soft ground the hoof just goes in uh, a little bit or, or yeah i mean good good to soft ground is is generally seen in national hunt racing as perfect ideal ground it suits the horses that maybe want slightly quicker ground but it also suits horses that want slightly slower ground it's it's seen really as the as the middle benchmark for for the going and basically it just means they're making a bit more than a print so so the horses are going in um but they're not going in too far where they're struggling to get out of the ground whereas when you've got heavy ground horses tend to go in i mean they can go in four or five inches will you imagine a fence that's four foot nine and their their feet or their hooves are already in the ground four or five inches it then makes that fence four or five inches bigger oh, yes yeah, so, so they're, launch, they're actually their jump, launch point they're, is... yeah they're jumping from lower down than they would be normally ah uh, of course so it actually does make it more difficult for horses to to run in heavy ground and it's it's a bit like running across a ploughed field yourself it's it's gluey it's sticky and i'm sure everyone's probably run through a field at some point or run somewhere where your shoes almost come off it's a bit like that it's it's hard to get your feet out of the ground so it's quite tiring but like i say that's heavy ground is is weather dependent we don't ever irrigate to make it heavy ground it's always whether has it rained for a month without stopping that's when you get heavy yeah. ground because i think i think the cross country back in i think it's probably 2019 when i think easy lands won it yeah uh is that 2019 what are we are now in uh, 2020 that was yeah, so, thing, yeah. yeah so 2020 and yeah. um, east lands won on i think it was bottom on screen yeah. at the time yeah and for those who've never been to Cheltenham before for the cross country you can you can leave the outside of the track and walk to the middle of the track um i did the whole cross course i was massively surprised how something bottom on screen is that is soft really yeah soft. and and 2020 so what i was referring to earlier is 2019 2020 were were ground conditions are almost taken out of our control because it just didn't stop raining and like i said you can put as much irrigation on or rainfall on but you can't get it off no um 
and to be honest it, it just didn't stop raining and and like you say you've got half a ton of horse running in ground like that and it's it's energy sapping for them but also it's surprising how deep they go into the ground as well right so it's tuesday it's day one of, it's day one of the um of the festival what time do you get up um, so I meet Simon every, this is every race day, not just festival. I meet Simon about 20 to 6 um, at the, at, on out on the track. Um, we'll have a quick walk round just to make sure that nothing's happened overnight. Um, everything's how we want it to be. And then we have to do a going report by roughly about 6 o'clock, 10 past 6. Okay. So what we'll do then is we'll just check that the going hasn't changed from what we thought it was the day before. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But then we'll put that out there um, so that every trainer, everybody in racing can see. And the reason it goes out so early is for that if the ground has changed and somebody was bringing a horse from, say, Newcastle, it just means that they know early enough that if they don't want to run, they don't have to leave home then. Right, okay, that's good. So you get it out as early as you can, let everybody know. That's not to say it's not going to then change in the daytime because it could rain all day. So then we'll go back out again about roughly two hours before racing and we'll walk the track again. Uh, me, Simon and the stewards um, of the day. Um, and we'll just again check that everything's in place. It's one last look over the whole course and we walk it. We don't drive, you walk because if you drive you don't tend to see everything. Yeah. If you walk the track you get to see everything. And then basically you just give the final going description. And then again during racing it may well change. We generally will ask jockeys what they think the ground is. It's not always an exact science with jockeys because generally the jockey that's won the race will always say the ground's perfect. Yeah. Um, and again, going reports or going opinions in racing are very varied. One per, one jockey could say he thinks it's good to soft and another jockey will say he thinks it's soft. It also depends on what horse they're on as well. Some horses will they'll run so it seems like it's softer ground because they've got different actions. But it's, So it's not an exact science to go and report, and that's why in racing you do tend to get a lot of people not arguing as such over the going, but you get a lot of different opinions. Okay, so it's one thirty, day one of the festival. The Supreme Officer's Hurdle's just started. Whereabouts on the course would you be? So I'm out in the middle. Um, so all of my team of 12 permanent staff have all got different jobs out in the middle. Basically, I follow in the convoy that you can sometimes see on the TV um, that follow the horses round. And it basically just means that I'm in the middle of the action. So I've probably got the best seat in the house, effectively. Nice. But it's also because my boss, Simon Clay, is up in the stands. So he's out looking from his binoculars. But if something was to happen or something's needed, Simon then can't get out from down the stand. So my job out in the middle is to basically manage everything in the middle. Brilliant. So... Following the following the action, making sure that everything's okay, that fences aren't broken, that all the horses are okay, all the jockeys are okay. It might be catching loose horses, could be anything like that. Um, but effectively, best best seat in the house. Lovely stuff. And what time? Um, and what time did you get to bed on the first day? I don't generally sleep very much <laughs> during during any meeting. Actually, um, I always know when racing's coming up anyway because I start having some weird dreams. <laughs> Um, like really weird dreams like for example the dream that comes up all the time is that I come into work and the course isn't set up and it's a race day and there's just nothing out here yeah um, that's probably the well say nightmare. a dream nightmare yeah. <laughs> yeah. but that crops up every now and again but generally um, 
during the festival we could be irrigating still so if we're irrigating overnight and moving rail we could we could be working till midnight we could be working till two in the morning yeah um then you're back in at sort of half five so the adrenaline gets you going but or keeps you going um but come the saturday after the festival you're practically on your last legs yeah so so um, on that on that first day so so last race is about half five yeah so as soon as the last horse is finished across the finish line yeah what do you do then so we're prepping then for the next day so there'll be rail to move and there'll be different bits out on the track that that we need to get done that punters don't generally see because people turn up at racing or then flip the telly on and they don't actually see like actually that was different yesterday or we're on a different track today but all of that thing all of them things can't happen without us changing things after racing yeah of course because we're racing four days solid the only time we get to do that is after racing um so we can still be out here in, in the dark at 11 12 might get home at one because there's always something to do between each day so by moving the rails for day two yeah is that making is that sort of ensuring that most horses get fresh ground as yeah. opposed to used ground? yeah so we basically from from the get-go in october we will calculate and measure where we will have saved ground for each meeting so for example we're racing in in october i will be looking at where the ground will be saved for march where the ground will be saved for december where the ground will be saved for january so when it comes to the festival and we're moving rail overnight, that rail is almost being put in a pre-positioned place. Yeah. So we know that each horse that runs at the festival will have fresh ground, safe ground, and it'll have the best opportunity to run at its best. Fantastic. I love it. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah. yeah. Um, Even though it's raining. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's raining. But yeah, um, at what point, do you get to uh, enjoy the week? I mean, the adrenaline gets you going, and I know you love your job, but uh, do you enjoy the festival week, or at the end of it, do you just sit back, take a breath, think, right, I, I did that, or? No, I, I get to, the festival week for me is, it's hard to explain in terms of, I get stupidly excited. Yeah. Um, I mean, I watch racing all the time, and my girlfriend's, She's an ex-jockey anyway, but she says to me, why are we watching racing again? Why are we watching the festival reruns in June? <laughs> and I sit there and I'm just watching racing and that's just a bit geeky. And I'll also, as soon as I finish racing here, when I go home, I'll always watch the replay, the replays. Yeah. Now, I won't necessarily listen to all the talking, but I'll forward through that and just watch the racing because it also gives me an angle of where I haven't probably seen it in the daytime. So I might pick up on something. I might say, well, actually, that rail there's in the wrong place or that needs changing for tomorrow or, oh, I didn't notice that earlier. So it's that's a good thing to do. So it is all a bit educational as well, but I'm just a bit of a racing geek, to be honest. Um, but I I enjoy it from, from the get-go. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, say a kid at Christmas where you can't sleep the night before. That's me, the mm. festival. But I also get nervous. So I get really nervous because this is it for us this is the olympics and i get nervous for any race meeting but the festival is just it's it's that much bigger you've got the whole world watching you and you know that potentially this is what you're paid to do and this is my back garden basically and the whole world's watching and we we prep it and we plan it all year round 
so I do get really nervous, but once once race one's out the way, you tend to think, okay, right, let's crack on. And you get through race and race and race, and although it's tiring and we're absolutely knackered, when it gets to the last race, I'm so down and sad and upset that we've only got one race left. Whereas I know some people go, oh, thank God we've only got one race left and I can't wait to go and have a rest. So I'll just like, I'll keep racing. <laughs> I'll just keep racing if it was me. So when... When we when we so we have twenty eight races and when we when we get down to the last one I'm actually verging on depressed. That's 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 how I feel. I mm. think I've, I've I've placed my first bet for the following year. Yeah. Before the last yeah. race. I hate I, I hate it to be honest when when the last race comes up at the festival. Although you're knackered. I mean I walk I walk about sixteen miles a day I think roughly um, give or take because I'm following up the winners up into the parade ring and forwards and backwards and I'll walk the course two or three times a day or, or whatever and you're out and about doing stuff so your feet are absolutely like I mean my feet at the end look like I've just run a marathon <laughs> um, nobody wants to see my feet on the Saturday um, but given the choice if somebody said to me right shall we race for another four days I would say yeah yeah definitely Every um, time. so how did you start in the industry Um so my my granddad worked for a trainer called Edward Courage um, back in a place called Edgecote, which is near Banbury, which is where I'm from originally. So I've always had that sort of racing bug. When we were younger, we used to go over to the farm and stuff. There were always jockeys around, horses around. I've always been an out, outdoor person. Um, so when I finished school, going to college or university wasn't really an option for me. And then a job came up on a golf course. And I played golf anyway. Um, like I say, I've always liked working outside and being outside. So I, I took the job on as a golf on the golf course doing sports turf, and then basically the racing bug got the better of me. So then I just applied to help out. Just how much of a geek I am. During my holidays at the golf course, I went and worked at Warwick Racecourse. Right, okay. So I used to have days off to go and work somewhere else. So <laughs> yeah. I used to work at Warwick Racecourse, and then obviously you gradually get to know people. So that's how it worked, and then. Somebody said, oh, there's somebody at Cheltenham that would like you to go and work for them. So, And then I started here in 2005, I think it was. And then it's just built on from there, really. But I think if you've got the enthusiasm for a job and you've got the enthusiasm for the sport, you can't go too far wrong. I mean, like I say, some of the lads here love their racing, and I think that's what you need. If you don't, yeah. if you don't enjoy your job or you don't enjoy the sport that you're working in, you'll never, you'll never get to the top of your game. No, so away away from racing, what other interests have you got? I mean, obviously horses are pretty much your life. Also, when you, you live in sight, what, what, what else do you away, do? Away from racing, um, horses. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got me and my girlfriend have got five horses between us. Um, we've got who some of your listeners might know York Hill, who was trained by Willie Mullins and uh, ridden by Ruby Walsh. Won two festival races, so we've got him um, in his retirement. Um, like I say, my girlfriend's an ex-flat jockey, so some of the horses that she rode, she's been gifted in their retirement as well. So basically, again, really geeky. It sounds really bad, but other than racing, we're into horses. Um, well, I don't think so. If, if horses are your thing, yeah. Um, we do go out. We like we like going out for nice, nice meals and things. Um, I like football, obviously, same as everyone else. Um, I've got a little boy um, from previous relationship. He's twelve now, so. He's at the age now where he's sort of a sort of a mate. He's a yeah. friend sort of thing rather than a rather than well rather than a son. But do you know what I mean? Like you can have a decent conversation with him now. He's into his football. He's into his girls. He's he's great fun. But yeah, it's just 
busy, busy, busy with anyone who works with horses knows it's it's not you don't go into horses thinking this is going to be hard work. You do it because you love it. Yeah. Um, and working with horses, whether it's working on a race course or whether it's working in eventing or polo or whatever, it's a way of life rather than a job. At the end of the day, they're not machines, they're animals, same as with dogs and stuff, but horses are hard work. And they're, they're quite unreliable in terms of something can always happen with a horse when you're least expecting it. Right. One of them will get injured or one of them will escape or something like that. Yeah. Now, is your boy, well, I've, I've got a 12-year-old boy, is he into horses? He was. So, again, probably me pushing him a little bit when he was younger. I, I tried to get him riding horses and whatever, and he, I don't particularly think he enjoyed it that much. And he was, I think he was probably a bit like, well, I don't really want to say I don't like it. But I've always said to him, you obviously do what you want to do. And he likes rugby now. Uh, he likes rugby, football, computer games, as they all do. I'd say Cheltenham's my special place, uh, my favourite place to be on earth, to be fair. And I brought the whole family to the end of January meet. Obviously not last year, because uh, was it last year before? Santini won, Santini yeah. won. Um, 2020. Yeah, it must have been 2020, January 2020. I brought, brought the lads along, um, brought the family along, sorry. And um, it couldn't have been a more disappointing day, because it was cold, my wife didn't yeah. like it, my daughter yeah. didn't like it, my son yeah. my son couldn't be arsed. Yeah, there's um, nothing There's nothing worse than that, and that's... Um, yeah, it was... We, uh, we, we go to some horse events now and take the boy along, and he just goes, oh, I'm bored, I'm bored, and <laughs> yes. I just think... I'd rather him go and do something that he wants to go and do and, and whatever. Um, so yeah, so you've, been, you you've been here about 17 years then. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've seen some races. Is there a race in particular that sticks out as being your um, your favourite race? Is there a race in the memory that you... Well, obviously, my, my two favourite races are, are York Hill winning... Um, the JLT. Winning his, his, yeah, the JLT and the Neptune Investment yeah. hurdle. So that 2016? Yeah. Um, but I think the one race... So I follow up the winner of pretty much every race unless i've been called out to something out on the track so i've probably walked in behind two three hundred winners right okay race, roughly yeah and there is only one horse i've ever seen that is still pulling the arms out of ruby walsh as he went back into the winner's enclosure bearing in mind he's just won a grade one two mile race and that was a horse called votor um, and he won the Supreme Novices, um, and he was pulling Ruby's arms out. Was that like 2016, 17? Yeah, maybe a touch earlier than that even. Um, yeah. He's sadly not with us anymore, but that horse was special. Yeah. He's probably... It's hard to say whether he was the best horse, because obviously he didn't win as much as, say, your Big Bucks or your Quarto Stars, but I've never seen a horse with so much ability after running in a race like that. I was just like... Wow, that's something special. And what's, your, and what's your favourite horse? I don't really have too many favourites, to be honest. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily pick one out on one on one of them. I, I sort of like a horse. I like a horse. I don't, don't generally have a favourite as such. I just enjoy watching brilliant horses. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed. I was, I was here in uh, when Shishkin won the Supreme in yeah. twenty twenty. It must have been. Yeah. Okay. Of course, this year there was no crowds, was there? No, that's that's why I keep I keep really thinking. Last time I was here, but obviously last time I was yeah. here was two years ago. Yeah, so Shishkin in twenty twenty when he yeah. when he beat Abracadabra on the line. Yeah, um, yeah, and and to be fair, in that race, Shishkin as well. Again, going back to how geeky I am, he didn't have the best trip round in that race. Yeah, he, and he actually, had trouble. Yeah, and at the second last, he actually nearly come down. 
um, where a, a horse fell in front of him. Because that was at Asteria Flange, was, Asteria running, was jumping right, was jumping right yeah, yeah, and brought, brought one down. I think two might have come down at the second last, actually. Um, and Shiskin sort of had a bit of trouble there. But to show that he could get out of that and still win, and I know a few people who worked for Gordon Elliott, and they had the cadavers they thought was the better of the week. So for him to Did beat they? them, yeah. But I actually seriously think that Shiskin could go on and do more things than Sprinter Sacra and Altio. Yeah, so I think she's uh, Queen Mother this year, would, would it be, for Shishkin? Yeah, 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 won the article last year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, same like I was saying about with horses and stuff, they do things when you're not expecting it. Barring injuries, barring illnesses, if he's fit for every race that he runs in, I think he could possibly be one of the best horses I've ever seen. I'd like to think so. Yeah, I mean, he the way, just even the way he makes a shape over a fence, he's just... He doesn't seem to let anything bother him. He can just pick up when he needs to. He just, to me, at the minute, he just seems like, I know he's still a novice, but he's, he looks like he's got everything. Well, I like that phrase, turn of foot. Um, he ran at Newbury, and my father-in-law went to Newbury, um, probably 2019. And he was on, on I think I, I think he goes on a Christmas work there as old workmates. Yeah. Um, so he was at Newbury, and I, I said, I'll get on Shishkin, and I'd lump on Shishkin. But that's the one where it fell. Yeah. yeah, I've never, I've never given the Farvanor tip before. Um, first, first, I said, I said, you, you will not be, you, know, you can't lose. And uh, yeah, the bloody thing fell. But other than that, we've done all right. But, but like I said earlier, horses they're not, they're not machines. Um, it just, just goes to show with Envoy Allen this year at the festival, absolute banker, couldn't be beat. Falls at fence five. So it when, you, when happened. you, um, does it, do you have a relationship with? The jockeys and the owners and the trainers, that they try and chat to you for... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's Cheltenham and the Cotswolds, there's quite a lot of jockeys and trainers around here anyway. Um, good friends with some of them. So, yeah, we generally... But, again, it's different opinions. I could have two of my friend jockeys and I could say to one of them one thing and both of them give me different answers. Yeah. Um. So, again, racing is very much the same with who is the best horse. What is this ground? Everyone's got different opinions, and in some ways, that's what makes racing so good. So on, tw- um, so you on Twitter? Yeah. What, what's your Twitter handle? Yeah, my Twitter handle is at Ben Cheltenham. I've never mentioned mine before. Mine's at Joey Joey One. If you want to answer one as the number one, um, I did say I think you do a bit of photography. Yeah. So um, photography is something I've always been interested in. Um, more so in the last ten years, I suppose, because. During the summer, I tend to go back to me being a horsey geek. I tend to go and watch polo. Um, okay. And I know quite a few people who, who play polo. And and I just sort of started taking photos there, really. And then a few people said to me, oh, my God, they're really good. So I just got more and more into it. And I set my own website up. And I've done a wedding, which I can tell you now, the <laughs> wedding was almost as stressful as the first day of <laughs> Was it? Because the thing with a wedding is, and I, it was a friend of mine who... I was paid for it as well, but it was a friend of mine who asked me, and I said, the problem is, I said, I'm really nervous. And she goes, oh, no, no, don't worry. She goes, what could go wrong? And I said, well, if I come to you the Monday after the wedding and say to you, I've lost all your photos, you're not going to be very happy with me, are you? Yeah. And she went, oh, I wouldn't do that, though. Would... And I'm like, yeah, but it could happen. It's your biggest day of your life, yeah. Yeah, so I'd done one wedding, and it turned out really well, but I wouldn't be in a rush to do another one. No. What's, um, your, oh, what's your website? Uh, so it's www. Ben Hasty Photography dot com. How you spell Hasty? Hasty is H A S T I E. Any of your 
listeners or viewers that uh, go on there, you'll see a lot of it is is mainly equestrian stuff. But I do like doing the old country photography as well. It could be anything. It could be pets. could be animals. Um, I would like to go to the Lake District and take photos up there. Um, but I haven't done so much in the last year, just generally because horses take up time and with COVID and everything, it's just been manic from one way or another. Okay, um, have you got any, um, any words of wisdom for anybody looking to join the industry or... Yeah, and, and anything, any... Um, going, going back to what I said earlier, I think if you if you join the industry, whether it's whether it's race courses, golf courses, football pitch, I think before you get into the grass and the turf aspect of things, is just having the enthusiasm for the actual sport you're in. If you're going to go and work on a football pitch, but you don't like football, I think you'll struggle. Yeah. And I've said that to people in the past. And people say, oh, no, well, I don't really see it like that. But I think you've got to have the enthusiasm. If you work on a golf course, you need to know the rules of golf. You need to know how golf works. You need to know what golfers are looking for. Same with racing. You need to know what jockeys and trainers are looking for, what horses need to be able to do out on the track. So you need to have that enthusiasm, I think. And I think that's probably the main thing. And I know people who have worked in racing before and haven't particularly liked it. And to be to be honest, I don't think they're that happy in their job because yeah. they don't have the enthusiasm. No, brilliant. Well, pretty much, Ben, that brings the, uh, the interview to, to a close. I want to thank you for your time today. It's been really enjoyable. Uh, massive insight into to, to the workings of the of the racecourse. This has been the Turf Hub Podcast. I've been Joe Hendy. He's been Ben Hasty. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Enjoy the festival. Thanks for listening to Advanced Grass Solutions Turf Hub Podcast. For more information, visit advancedgrass.com or follow us on socials using the handle at advancedgrass.com.